Heavenly Father, thank you for the time to uh, talk about marriage that is, was designed to be an amazing blessing, but we also realize that it also can be the ball and chain. And so, Father, we're looking to be prepared for something so that it doesn't become that, that it actually can be the blessing that it was intended to be. So we pray that your Holy Spirit would guide us and also that Jesus would be uplifted. We pray this in his name. Amen. Now, I'm going to start with some good news and some bad news about preparing to tie the knot. When you look at the stats of those who get divorced by, by age, what age you are when you get married actually affects, statistically that is, how likely you are to get divorced. So let's think about this for a moment. What they discover is that those who are under 20 are some of the most likely people to get divorced. If you get married before you're 20 years of age, uh, it's very, very likely. And if I remember correctly, if you go like un- 17 or under, it's like really bad, you know? That's not really good in general. And then under 20 is just plain not good. And then from, from 20 to 25 is still quite bad. Not as bad as before, but it's really, really quite bad. And after 25, for some reason, 25 seems to be like that, that hinging point where things begin to change a little bit. Things begin to get better after about 25. It's interesting because right around the age of 25, our frontal lobe or the prefrontal cortex is basically just about done Uh, coming to fruition in the human body, the decision-making center, right? Uh, uh, The part of the brain that has to do with spirituality, morality, the will, obviously many other functions, but you get the point. The point is is that uh, as you get older, now look at this chart. This chart is fascinating. Here you are. uh, These are ages. uh, It just continues to go down. So uh, here you are at 15 to 24, 25 to 34, and you go all the way up, and at 65 or older you only have a 5% chance of getting divorced. All you have to do is wait till you're 65, and it's almost guaranteed you're not going to get divorced. If that's all you get out of this seminar, you got something great, right? Wait for marriage. Are are you willing to wait now? Well, okay, let's go forward. Now, I want you to think about this. We we talked a bit yesterday. We talked a bit about uh, what marriage is composed of. We talked about the fact that it is not, statistically, they did a, they did a study of 24,000 Germans in, over an 11-year period, and they discovered that, statistically, people were no happier after marriage than they were before marriage. Initially, there's a little bump because you what? You go on a honeymoon, and that's pretty exciting. I mean, if you go to Hawaii for a week, I mean, hopefully, you know, your happiness bumps up a little bit, Right? But there's more to it than that. Uh, Basically, finally, ultimately, you come back to basically baseline levels that you had before you were married. Isn't that interesting? So the reality is we talked about yesterday the need to be happy before marriage. We're going to talk a little bit bit more about that right now. Uh, But this is one of the things that we need to think about. We talked a little bit about, uh, actually quite a bit about the Bible last evening. The Bible is a book that is more than just an ancient manuscript, although it is an ancient manuscript. The Bible is a book that begins, one of the first things it talks about in the Bible is marriage. That marriage was actually something that God intended to be a blessing. He gave it to our, you know, ancient parents And he gave it to them in perfection, and it was meant to be a blessing, but obviously, uh, much of marriage is a burden. 
And we don't want to be negative, but the reality is, is since there is pain and suffering because of marriage, we want to learn how to prepare so that it's not a pain and there's not so much pain and suffering. And so in preparing for marriage, we want to become the people that we are called to be. And if, if, we, if, if two people come together who are whole, if two whole people come together, as they come together, they can be whole together, especially if they have a connection with God. So if you have these three, this threefold coming together, it is very, very hard to break two whole people that are holding God apart, and then as they come together with God, that can become a unity of one that is very, very powerful. But the reality is, is we're not always whole when we get married, so how can we actually get whole? You know, the Bible is a book that is transformative. The Bible is a book that Jesus says in John chapter 15, the whole passage there in the beginning of that chapter talks about abiding. Jesus says, if the chapter begins, Jesus says, I am the true vine and my father is the husbandman. That means he's the one who works in the vineyard. He's the one who is taking care of the plants there. I am the true vine and my father is, is the husbandman. Every branch that abides in me bears fruit. And he ends up saying this. He says in verse 3, he says, Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. Now, according to Scripture, we actually, that in our lives, it says all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God in the book of Romans. So we are sinners, and we are corrupted by the world around us, and so we have a dirtiness, and actually, we have shame. I mean, you think about it in your own life. Are there areas in your own life that you wish nobody would ever find out about? Like if all of a sudden, uh, you had to come up here and just confess to us all your filthy, dirty sins, how would you feel? You'd be totally ashamed, right? It would be horrible. The reality is we have shame, we have sin that's been a part of our lives, and we have filth, and we're, and we're dirty in a sense, and God wants to bring us to the point that we are clean, and Jesus told us, now you are clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. God wants to bring us to a point where we're not ashamed anymore. The Bible says that when the man and woman came together, they were naked and they were not, they weren't ashamed. Now, they didn't have anything to be ashamed about because they had never sinned, but the reality is, is most of us would not want a television monitor on our foreheads that told everybody what we were thinking about, would you? Imagine how your friends would feel about you if they always saw what you were thinking as you were talking with them. You might not have any friends. But you know what I find fascinating about? That Jesus reads that monitor all day, every day. And guess what? He still loves you. Isn't that amazing? Jesus actually wants to cleanse us so that when we come into our marriage uh, unity, this nuptial bond, that when we come together, that we don't have to carry all the baggage from beforehand. He wants us to be transformed. And the Bible tells us that we are transformed. Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says, Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The Bible says you're transformed in your mind. He wants to cleanse your mind so that when you enter into this relationship, you don't have all the things that you could have taken into it. He wants to cleanse you. And I want to challenge you. This book, I had zero interest in the Bible. 
And as I began to read this, I'm going to share with you more of my testimony later on on how I actually came to read the Bible. It was actually because of an atheist that I read the Bible through for the first time. And the reality is, is as I began to read it, initially, I'll, I'll just be fully honest with you. When I initially began to read the Bible, I really didn't really like it. And the Bible actually tells us that we don't like the Bible. Did you know that? Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 gives us this perspective that the natural man, and so does 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that the natural man is enmity against God, for he is not subject to the, the will or to the law of God, neither indeed can be. Meaning, we naturally are at enmity with the things of God, and that word enmity means to have antipathy, to have hatred, to have anger, to be opposed to. And so what we discover is, by nature, we don't like the Bible. But then as we actually abide in the word of God, the Bible says that we are changed, we are cleansed, and we actually begin to love that which we once hated. And we can actually get to the point where we begin to not like the things that we once loved, and we find, we find that the burden is lifted off. I want to challenge you. One of the things in preparation for marriage is to begin to spend time daily in the word of God. I'm so glad that God changed my my mind and my heart through his word before I ever even met the woman who became my wife. Because if I would have been the man that I was back before I had been, you know, growing in the word of God. I mean, there's still lots of changing that needs to take place in my life. Absolutely. But I'm surely happy that I'm not the man that I used to be in totality. This book is true, that there is something transformative about the Word of God. So I want to challenge you to spend time daily in the book that is the Bible. And even if you're like me, and as you begin to read it, you don't get anything out of it. I mean, you were like me initially, that I didn't get anything out of it, I didn't even like it. But there's something about the Word of God, there's power within that book, that it begins to change you, it begins to change your mind, it begins to change your heart, and it begins to change your entire life as a result of it. My wife's going to come up now, and she's going to share with us our next point from Colossians chapter 2 in, in preparing to tie the knot. Yesterday, Chad spoke about being complete in Jesus, but let's just look at that. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. For in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. And who are we complete in? Jesus. There's no other way that we are going to be happy in this life unless we have Christ in our lives. And we can't say that enough. I know it just sounds like we're just saying the same thing over and over and over, but statistically, if you are not happy before marriage, you will not be happy in your marriage. You have to find it in your own life that you're content with who you are and you're not trying to find your identity in somebody else or somebody else trying to make you um, feel like, oh, I can go to church and have somebody sit next to me, and then I feel happy. Don't some of us girls feel like that? (laughs) I'm just speaking from a woman's perspective. We have these longings, right? But ultimately, we come to church, we do these things because we are happy in Jesus. And if you're not feeling like that, you need to go to him, break down, and find it. For me... It took tragedy to come to that point. I relied on my friends and those relationships a lot, 
and I thought that's what brought me true happiness. My older brother was killed in a drunk driving accident, and that's where I finally met my savior. I would wait for my friends to come and visit me so they could give me comfort at this time. But you know how it goes when you're grieving, other people's hearts aren't grieving at the same level that your heart is grieving, right? And so they don't always know how to be there for you. And that's okay, right? That's okay because none of us were made to be there 100% for anybody. That's not our job. That's God's job to be there 100% of the time. And so I would sit in my room and I'd cry. And I'd think, my brother, I miss him. I love him. I could have said this to him. I could have said that. And I think about the future and what all we were going to miss out on. And um, what ended up happening, I had this poster in my room. And it had two white tigers leaning on each other. And it says, you can always lean on a friend. And I'd look at that and I'd say, yeah, but until you really need them, you know. And I'd just be so angry about it. But I praise the Lord that in that anger, I cried out to him, and I pled with him, and, and I told him what all was in my heart. And I felt his presence, and he literally became my best friend. Because I knew it didn't matter what I had said to him, that he cared for me no matter what. And I realized that was the secret to every relationship. I started realizing he really is a friend to everyone and he can be that for everyone you know we travel around a lot and one of the things in traveling is that you're always trying to make associations Chad and I are always like doesn't that look like so-and-so doesn't that look like something I'm like yeah yeah it does because you're always trying to make some kind of association another thing we do is um, we're always trying to find who we know you know, when you came here on campus, when you were first here, you talked to somebody, oh, where are you from? I'm from here, I'm from there. Oh, I have a friend from there. And then, wow, that friend is a mutual friend. That's so cool, <laughs> right? It happens, especially in Adventism. It's a small world after all, right? And so, <laughs> literally, and um, especially in my family, I'll tell you more about it later, but we're a scattered people as it is. We don't have a country um, and so we're scattered all over the world, and we'll travel to Germany, we'll travel to different places, and like, you have family here? Like, what on earth? But that's just how it is. But anyway, back to the whole point of we try to make associations. And so then, because that mutual friend, you feel like you're closer to that person, right? But guess who the ultimate mutual friend is on this earth? It's Jesus. And we can all come closer together because of that one friend, isn't that powerful? It's like, that's what we're all longing for. That's, that's what we all want is that connection with everybody, right? And it's Jesus. And I can't say that enough. And he has been um, the one thing that has been satisfying to my soul. And everything on top of that, being married, getting to do the Lord's will, all of that is like the extra topping. But ultimately, in my greatest time of need, he was there for me and continues to be there. So when, when the Bible says in verse 8 of Colossians 2, Beware, lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men. You know, marriage has become very much um, something that people are afraid of. When Chad asked earlier um, how many are married, a large number of you raised your hands. 
And then when he asked who would like to be married, some of you didn't raise your hands, and I don't believe that's because you don't want to be married. It's because you're a little afraid of it. And you may think, it's not for me. I don't deserve it. And I think there's some truth to that, because I was there. You know, I was there at one point thinking, it's for somebody else. I, I don't think I'd, it'll ever happen for me. And so then we just don't do anything about it, right? We just kind of go along with life and, okay, so it's not for you. So if you really have that desire, then do something about making it for you, right? So one of the ways is don't go after the traditions of men. You know, there's a lot of philosophies out there about what marriage should be. I just had somebody tell me about how he picks up girls. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's definitely a tradition of men. <laughs> um, he says, get to know her roommate really well. And she'll, the roommate will talk you up. Do you think that is an honest way to get to know somebody? Do you think Christ would do something like that? But somehow we allow these things, these, these so-called traditions of men, thinking that's how you get a girl. You know, you, you go and you make her roommate think you're interested in her and you're not really interested in her. You know, and you break her heart. And to trifle with a woman's heart, I'll just let you know, guys, is a great sin. It really is. It's a great sin, and it doesn't make a relationship any easier. So what do we do then? Where do we go for, for this knowledge? Where do we go to deepen this um, in our own lives, this, this relationship? Um, Chad's going to come up and continue uh, some of these points that we're making. The next point that we're making in preparing to tie the knot is we need to think about what is our purpose in life? What is the purpose that I have in life? And so uh, sometimes, you know, we just, we go by the purpose that our parents have, or we go by the purpose that we just don't, well, I got to choose something, you know? I mean, you, ultimately, you've got to choose something. And so we just choose something. But to really find your goal, something that actually makes you wake up in the morning and think, man, I want to go forward and do this. I actually enjoy it. I mean, one of the things I see is uh, it's tough Living the rest of your life. We live in a time where young people typically don't even stay with the job very long anyway. Is that true? It's not like when our parents were young and our parents got a job when they were 19, 20 years old. And when they were, you know, 60 years old, they retired and they were at the same company their whole life, right? We just don't live at that time. And they did it no matter what. They didn't, it's not that they really necessarily, some of them enjoyed it. Others just did it because that's, you know, the American way. You get a job, you make a living, and you retire. And there's nothing innately wrong with any of that. But the reality is we also have the opportunity. We do not live in North Korea. Is that true? We don't live in North Korea. North Korea, it may be. I don't know what life is like there. Most of us don't know very much about what goes on in North Korea. But in certain countries, you may be forced to do what you are told to do in life, right? That the world around you tells you this is your work for life and that's what you do. And if it is, make the best of it. I mean, that's all you can do. But the reality is you actually have an opportunity to choose something you love. 
And I see one of the saddest things is a young, a young person goes to school for four years, six years, eight years. Uh, a friend of mine, he's Korean. And I don't know, maybe it's not true at Loma Linda, but almost any Korean I know either becomes a doctor or a dentist. He became a dentist. He chose option two. And he's a dentist today, and he told me, I absolutely hate dentistry. I hate my work. I hate my job. I hate going to work. I hate everything about it. He's from South Korea, not North Korea, right? And the reality is, is he didn't have to go into that. He didn't have to do that. There, there's something in life that he was called to that he's not doing, but it's, but it's hard once you're in it, especially when you've spent potentially hundreds of thousands of dollars, right? So do you think it might be beneficial to figure out beforehand what you actually would enjoy doing, yes or no? Meaning while you're here, if you're thinking, I want to become a doctor, praise the Lord. If God's called you to be a doctor, become a doctor. But one of the things I would suggest doing is figure out, is that would you actually like it? Meaning go along and, and shadow somebody in some capacity to find out, would I actually like this? Or is this just something I'm doing because, you know, it sounded good? I mean, to go the rest of your life in something that you were not called to do in a country that you could do whatever you want is just a crying shame, wouldn't you say? And God actually wants you to be fulfilled. That's the funny thing. God actually wants you to be happy. God knows that your greatest impulse is to be happy. And all heaven is willing to unite in your effort to be happy, to bring you true happiness. God wants you to be happy. You know, it's interesting that, that we sometimes feel like, ah, you know, uh, I want to go into this, but God doesn't want me to. Listen, God wants to, you to do the thing that is actually the most fulfilling for you possible. Meaning God's desire is the thing that you would do would be the thing that would bring you the greatest joy and the people around you the greatest joy as a result of your influence in that specific avenue. God wants you to be happy. And so seeking God and saying, God, I want to know what your will is for my life. I want you to show me what you want me to do, and I want to go ahead and do that. And then even through that process, even though schooling may be tough, it will not be as tough because you know this is what I want to do. And the end actually is going to be all worth it in the end because I know this is something that fulfills my life. And so I want to challenge you. And here's one of the things I found, that I, I challenge people, especially young people, if you do not know. If you don't know, I mean, if you're just kind of going through the motions, you know, you may be getting your prereqs out of the way or whatever, uh, wonderful. But if you, if you at the end of that have no clue what you want to do and you're actually already thinking, ah, I don't know about this or that, you know, one of the things you can do is you can actually go do something like student missionary work for a year. And I, the reason I say that is because in things like student missions, you go off to a place you go to a different part of the world, you're away from friends, you're away from family, you're doing something totally different, and in a sense what you're doing is you're saying, before I actually make that ultimate decision on my career, I'm going to seek first God's will in my life, right? You know that verse there in Matthew 6, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and what? All these things will be added unto you. Meaning God is saying, listen, if you put me first, if your plans are with me first, I'll take care of the rest. I'll take care of your plans for the future. I'll show you. And one of the things that happens many times is if you go out and put God first, while you're doing it, you're, you're maybe at some place in Africa and there's a, there's a medical clinic there and, and you see how the doctors are working with the patients there and you say, that is exactly what I want to do. You get to see it firsthand. 
Or maybe you see somebody doing something else, they're, they're drilling wells there, and you're, you're interested in uh, you know, maybe being an engineer or what have you so that you can help people wherever. And I'm not saying people are all called to be missionaries overseas. I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is you may discover when you see people working in these different fields, that would be so fulfilling, whatever it is. Because we're not all called to the same thing, that's for sure. We are called to different avenues of life, but God has a plan for your life that yours will actually be fulfilling. And in preparation for marriage, especially for guys, because I see it many times, guys without a a purpose in life are like eternal video game players. And generally, I mean, I, I lived in Oregon for a while, and I'm not, it may not be the same way, I, I, don't, I haven't lived there in years, but I noticed it, it, was, it was serious in Oregon. The guys all sat home, and the girls worked, right? And the guy just sat there and played video games all day. And these guys are like 30 years old, you know? Is that fulfilling, yes or no? It's not fulfilling to the guy, and I'm not even putting anybody down. I'm just telling you, that's not what you were created for. God has a plan for your life. God has a purpose, and especially as a guy, you need to know what have you been called to do. And when you find somebody else, make sure that somehow your two perspectives, the the purpose, the plan, God says in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 11, he says, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God has a plan for your life, and he wants you to find that plan. And if you don't know, if you feel like it's all hazy around you and you can't figure it out, maybe give it a try. Just say, God, listen, I need to put you first, and I know you'll show me what you want. Maybe the line you're going into right now is exactly what you should go into. And if it is, praise the Lord, keep going. But if the Lord shows you, no, I have another direction you can go. I have another plan, another purpose. And make sure, because it can be very difficult if, if you know, one person wants to go do this, and that involves, you know, uh, going to Africa and doing all these things, and the spouse doesn't want to do that. It can be very difficult on a marriage. And make sure God has a plan. I, I just want to share with you, his plan is so much better than anything. Meaning, maybe you've already figured out. But if you haven't figured out, his plan is better than your plan. True. He loves you. You live in, I mean, you live here at least right now. I mean, at least while you're going to school, you do. And the reality is you can do whatever you want. But God really wants you to find it. And he wants you to be united with somebody who has the very same. Now, I don't mean they go, they're going, you don't have to be two doctors or two you know, architects or whatever. But someone who somehow you can mesh together and that can all work together so that as your home, you have an interest together. As you work together, you can, I don't mean in the same job, but as you're home together, you can converse about things. You have interests, you have similar things, similar passions, so that when you're united, there's something very fulfilling about that. I'll tell you my wife, and I'll close with this, because I know we got to go. My wife and I, uh, we met doing ministry. And I don't believe by any stretch of the imagination, everybody needs to live the lifestyle I live, or my wife and I live. We live in a motorhome full-time on the road. Uh, We live in ministry. But she was, she was already doing ministry work. I was in ministry work. And because of that, we, you know, we had an interest. We worked together, and our lives came closer and closer together. A friendship developed that deepened and deepened until the point where we became best friends. And that enhanced to the point where we realized, you know, God was guiding, and actually everybody told us you guys should get married. But I was, you know, giving Bible studies to people and stuff. You know, I'd be in their house, and um, she's sitting there, and we never talked about that. We were interested. And my Bible study contact said, uh, the person I'm talking to, he said, you two need to get married. And I said, turn to John chapter 17. 
And he said, no, 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 really, you need, you guys really, really need to get married. And I said, John chapter 17, verse 3. I just, I wasn't ready for marriage at the time. I just wasn't married. I wasn't ready. I knew I wasn't. And if you're not married, that's okay. Enjoy singlehood, amen? That's fine. I wasn't ready. It took me years to get married. We were friends, and our friendship deepened, and, and our, our ministry was able to work together. The purpose that God had for both of us worked together. We're not perfect. We have a long ways to go. But the Lord has brought us closer, and he's still bringing us closer. And the reality is you don't have to be in the exact same line like we are. But find somebody who somehow the, two, the, the plan, the purpose can actually mesh together. God has that plan for your life. So we're going to close tomorrow, just to let you know before we pray. Tomorrow's message is actually part two to this. Part two, so it's tying the knot part two. And this evening... We are talking about overcoming, we're talking about, do you mind, overcoming like Jesus, finding victory like Jesus. Powerful, powerful message this evening. Seven o'clock over at uh, Campus Hill Church. So seven o'clock will be there. And this is going on every day this week, uh, every, at least every weekday this week, and we'll also have a message up at Campus Hill on Saturday at the, at the service over there. But let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have plans for us. You have a purpose. And that even though sometimes we feel like, oh no, if I give my life to God, the, the, the plan he has for me is going to be horrid. Father, I pray that you would wash that idea out of our minds. That we would actually recognize, no, what God's calling us to do is going to bring the most joy, the most happiness, the most fulfillment to my experience here on planet earth and to that of the spouse that he has for me. So Father, I pray that you draw us near to you, bless these students in their work and in their school. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.